the 23rd Psalm, turn to it with me, and let's just read the whole thing. We're going to do this every time until we're done with it. We ought to memorize it. I had a lady come up to me last week, and she told me I knew that I was really backslidden before I got back into church here. What let me know that I was backslidden was that I forgot how to quote the 23rd Psalm. And she said, when I couldn't remember it anymore, I said, I've been out of church too long. So let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, thank you for your word, for speaking to us and blessing us. Lord, change us in Jesus' name. Amen. This psalm is so loaded with truth. He's saying that God will do two things. The Lord who is his shepherd will do two things. He restores and he leads. Now, folks, let's remember this was a shepherd writing this psalm. And he looks up and he says, you know what? God is my shepherd. He's not just God out there. And he's not just a shepherd out there, but he's my God. And when I came to know him as my God, I realized that he was my what? Shepherd. He's my shepherd. Everybody say he's my shepherd. So you've got to cooperate with Jesus for him to be your shepherd. Because there's people saved all over the world. I'm telling you, uh, he is not their shepherd. He wants to be, that is, he is not shepherding them because they're not submitting to his shepherdship. They want fire insurance. They want life insurance. They want to know they're going to heaven when they die. And they believe in the Lord. But it's another thing when you take his yoke upon you and learn from him. And not everybody does that. I can tell you not everybody does that. And you know what, folks? You know why? Because it's one of the hardest things in the world to do. You know why? Because we're rebels by nature. Yeah. We want to do our own thing. That's why he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to do his own thing, to go his own way. And that's why the Lord had to lay on him the iniquity of all of us. Because we don't like somebody telling us what to do. Come on. We want to praise the Lord, hallelujah, and all of that as long as he's blessing us or doing what we want him to do. But isn't it interesting how we rebuke the devil when the shepherd tells us to do something we don't want to do? Anybody out there? I know this is real because I know I do it. Oh yeah, I don't like the Lord telling me to do some things. There's things your flesh wants to do you don't want to do but you do it anyway. It's like Paul said, what I want to do, that's what I don't do. And what I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Because I've got this tent of flesh on me. 
The flesh is at war with God. Did you know that? And you say, when am I going to be free of the flesh? At the rapture. Or when you die. But until then, you've got flesh, and inside of you, you've got the new man. You've got, really, two natures at war inside of you. Your flesh wants to rebel against God, go against the Word of God, resist the shepherding of God. Your flesh does not want a yoke around its neck. But the inner man, the new nature inside of you, loves the Lord, wants His will, wants to reach up and fellowship with Him and do what He wants. But you find a battle going on every single day. Somebody cuts in front of you in rush hour traffic, your flesh wants to... We'll just leave that up to your own imagination. But your inner man wants to bless and do the will of God. Now, it's up to you which one you're going to yield to. I personally believe you got a lot better shot at yielding to the inner man and the new nature inside of you if you begin your day with God. If you don't begin your day with God and, and get the Spirit uppermost and strong and fed, then you're going to be really in much more flesh that day than you would have been if you had just uh, gotten with God. I believe the way you start the day is pretty well the way you go through the day. It's really, it's like you set your direction by what you do the first hour of your day. Am I going to walk in the flesh or am I going to walk with God? Now, church, maturity... Maturity is coming into our lives when we find ourselves more and more and more walking in the Spirit, obeying the promptings of the Spirit, successfully crucifying the flesh. And it comes from some suffering, it comes out of some pain, it comes from some difficulty, some chastening that God may take you through. Because it says he chastens every son whom he receives. And what is he doing? He's trying to get us to the place where we've had about all of the fun in the flesh we can stand. We, we're ready to go on. And we want to grow. And we want to choose to obey the promptings of the Holy Ghost. And that takes time. You're not going to do that overnight. You're not going to do that perfectly all your life. But you're going to do it better than you did it last year or the year before. You ought to be growing in your ability to walk in the Spirit. Now, if you choose to do that, then you are going to come under the shepherding, the shepherding of Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think. And maybe this is a cynical opinion, and you can chew the meat and spit out the bones. Not everything I say is right, just almost. Just kidding. Don't look at me so seriously. But here's what I really do think. It's, it's a little bit cynical. But I think most Christians in America do not come under the shepherding of Jesus. Not from what I've observed. And I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about just, I've been in this thing 25 years and I've seen a lot of churches and a lot of people. It's funny. We kind of got a good old boy religion. Go to church on Sunday, get saved, get water baptized, go out and live like you know what the rest of the week and then go back to church on Sunday and take care of our conscience. And put in our dues and say hello to people and then go back out and live in the flesh all the rest of the week. Christians backbite, they gossip, they slander, 
When they get offended, they do not give the offense to God. They take matters into their own hands. And all kinds of things that where Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, if you're biting and devouring one another and slandering and gossiping, you are still carnal. You're still walking like men. He said, when I came to you, I wanted to feed you meat. I wanted to tell you some heavy stuff. But I couldn't even get milk down you because you were backbiting, gossiping, slandering, and fighting with one another and having divisions among you. And see, he said, so you're, you're carnal. You would choke on meat. Now, I believe that uh, what you see in America, and I can't speak for the rest of the world, but you see a lot of Corinthian Christianity. And I'm not pointing any fingers in here or anything like that. Years and years and years of observation. And here's what I think is going to happen. God is moving through the church in America right now. And I really do believe God is going to separate the carnal from those that really want to go on with him. And there's going to be a bunch of folks that get to the place where they really do want to go on with God. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm just speaking from what I have been fellowshipping with the Spirit about. I really believe this is true. The days are coming in this nation when it's going to cost you, buddy, to say you love Jesus Christ, you're going to pay a price. You're going to pay a price. Already, we feel this because the whole culture has gone anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-God, anti-Scripture, anti-conservative. And I really think a lot of people are facing the issue in their life, is he going to be my shepherd or am I going to just going to be a saved, you know, saved? Good old boy religion. If he's going to be your shepherd and you're going to take his yoke upon you, then a whole different life. Because you know what? Your life in your own then. And you are going to have to give some things up and bow your knee and crucify your flesh in order to bear fruit. Because if you don't crucify the flesh and come under the shepherding of Jesus, you will not bear fruit. You know, what a lot of people, folks, are afraid of when it comes to allowing him to be the shepherd is just a lie from hell. He's not to be feared. Listen, if anything is to be feared, it's your flesh. Because your flesh will get you in a world of trouble. Best thing that ever happened to your flesh and my flesh is it be good and dead. You don't need to worry about the devil. You got one wrapped around your skeleton. Yeah, that's right. I call it the flesh. It's contrary to God. It is against God. It doesn't want to go with God. It fights God every step of the way. Your flesh leaves heel marks all the way into lordship and him being your shepherd. Now, David got to the place where he said, the Lord is whose shepherd? My shepherd. I think it's a great day when you move from good old boy religion to saying honestly from your heart, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. I'm not in this deal to play church, to be religious, to look good to people for any other reason, but the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. And David said, because of that, I shall not want. He's going to take care of my needs. And remember last week we looked at, he's going to make me to lie down in pastures of green grass by delivering me from fear, from friction with others in the flock, from uh, pests, and from hunger. 
The Lord, who is my shepherd, is the one who makes it possible for me to lie down at rest and at peace on the inside, content, so that I can graze in the green grass of his word and drink from the waters of the Spirit of God. Some people are so busy they can't lie down for five seconds to get with God. You know, folks, there isn't anything spiritual about busyness. There is not one thing spiritual about busyness. If you're just being busy for busy sake. I hate busyness for busyness' sake. Some people, so busy, you don't know if you're coming or if you're going. You don't know where you've been and where you're going. Listen, sometimes to do nothing is to do something. Just to get down and just get with God. Even Jesus said, depart into a desert place and rest for a while. So the Lord who is our shepherd begins, when we come under his care, we don't starve like we did under the devil. We don't starve like we did under the ways of the world. He gets us to a place where we can eat green grass and drink from the waters of the Spirit. It's the will of God that we can be content enough to eat of his word and drink of his Spirit. He restores my soul. Now, the first thing that comes to me when I read that verse is, why in the world do I need my soul restored? I'm saved. Isn't my soul restored? Well, let me tell you something about real sheep. Real sheep. Now, something happens to real sheep that's called a cast sheep. C-A-S-T. A cast sheep. This is what happens with real sheep. And is there a reason God called us sheep? Because we act like, we are like, in many ways, real sheep. He could have called us eagles. He could have called us horses. He could have called us mules. I know a few that I would have thought of that. You know. But he called us sheep. Okay? Now, why? Because a sheep, a real one, will get into what is called a cast position. Now, here's the way it happens to him. He'll lie down in a soft hollow or a depression in the ground. Now, once he has laid down in that little hollow or depression in the ground... He'll roll over on his side to relax or to stretch. Now, when he does that, because of the way a sheep is built and put together, the center of gravity in this sheep's body shifts so that uh, his feet no longer touch the ground, and he really, he just kind of rolls over onto his back. And when that happens, this little guy panics. And he begins to flail with his little legs. And the more he does that, the worse the whole thing becomes. So finally, what you've got is this little sheep upside down, all fours, sticking straight up in the air. And he cannot, on his own, roll over. He can't do it like a dog or, or any other animal because he's a sheep. So what shepherds call a sheep that has gotten in this condition, they call him a cast sheep upside down now here he is he's upside down four little legs sticking up in the air flailing away he's losing his energy and as time goes on here's what happens the blood flow to his legs and to his extremities is cut off now in hot weather a real sheep will last a few hours in a cast position if it's cool and rainy he can stay like this for days, completely and totally paralyzed and helpless, unable to roll over and get out of this at all. Now, 
When you know this, it's easier to understand the parable of the 99 sheep and the one that went astray. There was 100 sheep. One of them got lost. Jesus told the parable of the shepherd sees 99. He counts them. He knows them. He knows how many are out there. And he counts them. He says, one's missing. Why did he leave the 99 and run to find that one lost sheep? I always picture the little guy off in some other pasture just eating away. He's okay. What are you panicking over, shepherd, in the parable? No, because Jesus knew the reality of real shepherding. That sheep was cast. That sheep was cast. And that shepherd knows if I don't reach him, if I don't get to him in time, it's a 911 situation when a sheep turns up missing. Because you can count on it, that little rascal laid down somewhere, rolled over, feet straight in the air, he's stuck, he's flailing away. And every minute counts, especially if it's a female carrying young. The loss to the shepherd is multiple. He loses the mother, he loses the young, he loses money. So he runs to find the cast sheep. David said, why are you cast down? O oh, my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Did you know, folks, that you and I as believers can become cast? And that's what David is saying. He's saying, he restores my soul. David, folks, was thinking of a cast sheep. He was thinking of being restored from a cast position. We like sheep. We do. I've seen a lot of believers get into a cast position. We become cast at times in our walk with God. But I can tell you, I have. I've been in a cast position. Now let's remember, when you get in a cast position, you're in a situation you can't get yourself out of. The shepherd has got to come and find you. And I want us to catch a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus Christ and the way he shepherds us. Right when you think you have really got it all together. Did you know that you can become cast? Right when you're the most sure of yourself, you can stumble and fall. Paul said, Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he become cast, lest he fall. The same reasons sheep become cast, we as believers can become cast. Now let me give you the first reason a sheep becomes cast. They become cast looking for a soft spot. Looking for a comfort zone. This is how most sheep in a typical flock of sheep become cast. Looking for a soft, hollow, comfortable place in the ground. And I can tell you that is so accurate when it comes to God's sheep, Christians, believers. As believers, it's easy to look for the cozy, for the comfortable, for the place where there's no hardship, no need for self-discipline. We don't like discipline. You know why? Because our flesh doesn't like it. I don't like discipline. I don't know about you, but when the Holy Spirit wakes me up an hour early, my first reaction is not to throw my hands up in the air and praise God and sing hallelujah in the dark. I don't feel like it. I feel my eyes burning. When I first get up, I do not feel anointed to go pray. I don't feel a warm fuzzy when God wakes me up. And if you got your alarm on, how many of you have become professional at hitting the 10-minute button? 
See? Because we don't like discipline. We don't like it. Our flesh loves self-gratification. We don't like discipline. But here's the bottom line, church. You're not going to get anywhere without discipline. You're not going to grow any fruit without discipline. You're not going to accomplish any goals without discipline. You've got to bring, you've got to harness your flesh. You've got to bring it under the power of the Spirit. But see, believers become cast when slowly but surely we begin to lay that cross down. Just a little bit here and just a little bit there because we're looking for a soft, hollow, depressed area there in the ground where we can lay down and be comfortable and not be bothered with discipline or hardship or crucifixion of the flesh. Is anybody hearing me? You're looking for an easy place, and that's what that sheep is looking for. Self-discipline. When this begins to happen, self-discipline begins to ebb. We quit praying as much. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens just like this. One month, two months, three months. We just gradually, you don't leap from here to there. You either go up in steps or you decline in steps. One of C.S. Lewis that said, the most dangerous way to hell is the well-paved road, the easy way, where there's no obstructions, no trouble, no problems, nothing's bothering you. You just go down that wide road that leads to destruction. See, that little sheep, he has no idea that in looking for a soft spot and in just laying down, when he first lays down, he's not cast. It takes a little time. He's got to look around. He's got to find it. He's got to lay down. He's got to stretch. He's got to roll around a little bit. And then he makes the fatal mistake of getting somewhere where he cannot fix it. He cannot get back. And I think that our disciplines, now you stop and think about it. Has your discipline in God Gone up or has it gone down? Where were you at this time last year? Were you pressing in stronger? Were you with God more? Were you praying more? Were you in the Word more? Or are you in the Word more now? And praying more now? And seeking Him now? And crucifying that flesh now? Better than a year ago. See, it happens very slowly. And I can watch it. Church attendance begins to slack up. You know, here's what I found about church attendance. You want an excuse, the devil will give it to you in five minutes. He'll give it to you in five minutes. Oh, I got a headache, and that thing will get ten times worse. Say, well, you know, somebody in the family's sick, and five of them will get sick. And you've got all the excuse you need. But I've learned this about people. What people want, people will make time for. All you got to do is watch the football games in January. Because they'll go out there in the sleet, in the hail, in the snow, in sub-zero freezing temperatures to wave on their team. They don't care what the weather's like because they want to be there. But see, when you're starting to look for a soft spot and you're on your way to being cast, you don't want that comfort zone disturbed. You begin to embrace the world a little bit more. You begin to say, well, maybe it's not so important to go to church all the time. Maybe I got a little fanatical. Maybe I was getting too serious about that thing. I think I'll just pull back, step back, and lay down in this little bed, in this easy boy in the living room, flip on that TV, and just let church today go on by. And then next week rolls around. You know, you do it one Sunday, it's easier the next. 
And then you do it the next one, it's easier the next. And before you know it, here you are. <laughs> are you with me? See, flailing in the air, saying, Lord, I did not intend to get way down. Somebody said wisely, I really think this is good. You don't know how far down you've gone till you start to climb back up. Before you know it, you're cast. Your spiritual life is in trouble, and you can't seem to help yourself. Now, the only thing you can do at that point, folks, is cry out to the shepherd. Cry out to the shepherd. Everybody say that with me. Cry out to the shepherd. Because this is one thing you know for sure about the shepherd, Jesus Christ. You give an honest cry for help, and he will always help you. He will always come on the scene. He'll send you a person. He'll send you a tape. He'll send you a message. He will somehow get to you, and he will somehow stand you on your feet. See, that's what the shepherd does when he finds that little sheep. Here's a little sheep like this, upside down, about ready to die. He stands him on his feet, and he begins to rub his legs and get the blood flowing in his legs again. You know what Jesus does? He stands you up on your feet, and he begins to get the blood that he shed for you and me flowing in your life again, covering you, covering your sins, helping you and ministering to you. That's what the shepherd does. You give an honest cry for help, and he will honestly and sincerely and every time come and help you. Amen. But we get cast this way. We don't mean to do it, but we get out there and we become cast. And I see it happen to people all the time. Now, I want to footnote it, what I just said with this one thing before I go on. It's better, church, that you never let yourself become cast. Because some people get out there, they start forsaking the assembling of themselves together. They get involved in things in this world. And I'm going to tell you, it is not the world I grew up in when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. There is so much stuff out there that addicts you, that traps you, that snares you, that grabs you, that it takes a mighty deliverance of God to get you out. And i got to be honest with you. I see some people get out there and get cast, and they get involved in stuff they never intended to get involved in. And they're flailing away, and they call for help. But you know what? Sometimes the shepherd gets to them, and I, I'm being careful with this, but you know what? They're never the same. I mean, I see them getting stuff. They're never the same. It seems like there's a part of that zeal they used to have and that fire they used to have that's just the dickens to get back. What are you saying, Pastor Jeff? I'm saying better to stay with the Word and don't ever become cast. Because you have no idea what you can do when you get out there and get out of church and get out of the Word and get out of prayer and get out of fellowship with God. You have no idea what you're capable of because your flesh, my flesh, anybody's flesh can do anything. And remember, Jesus said, if you come to him, the devil leaves your life, and you get filled with God, and then you go back to the things of the world, you're seven times worse. Better to stay right in the presence of the Lord, stay at his feet, stay in the word, stay in prayer, stay in church, keep on listening to me. I'm not going to hurt you any. But listen, we'll go through this thing together. But don't get out. There's nothing out there but a bunch of people just like this. Every one of them telling you life is great just like this. It's true. So how are you doing? I'm having the time of my life. And inside they're going, hell, I cannot get out of this. Now the second way 
a sheep becomes cast is having too much wool. He's got too much wool. Too much wool. Sheep's wool becomes very heavy. Here's why. Because their wool picks up dirt. It picks up mud. It picks up burrs. It picks up all kinds of debris that makes that wool heavy and causes that sheep to be cast much more easily. Now, this fits with us. Because you see, anything that weighs you down is like excess wool. Do you know the Bible says, let us lay aside every what? Weight. Everybody say it together. Weight. There's two things we're supposed to lay down and lay aside. Weight, and I don't mean physical. A weight is whatever drags on you and keeps you from going on with God. Whatever puts a drag on your spirit. Whatever holds you back. Whatever keeps you from being able to say yes to Jesus. It's interesting to me that he differentiates between weight and sin. See, something can weigh you down that's not necessarily sin, but it's not expedient for your walk with God. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. See, there's things that weigh you down. I think a relationship that does not glorify God, you may not be in sin, but it's not glorifying God. It can weigh you down. I think some jobs, I think sometimes you've got to take a good hard look at what you're doing. Because you might be in a situation where they're working you to absolute death. And God could have something better for you. You don't have time to breathe. You don't have time to do anything. See, and that could be a weight. It's not sin, but it's something weighing you down. If this sheep, he doesn't know it, but as he just goes down the trails and through the pastures and through life, his wool is accumulating debris that weighs him down so that when he lays down, that wool just pulls him over. It's heavy. I mean, it's really heavy. They weigh it by the pounds when they shear those sheep. Worries, worldly thinking, cares, troubles, fears. See, these things, I'm going to say them again, worries, worldly thinking. You start thinking like the world instead of thinking like God. You start looking at all your problems through the eyes of worry and fear instead of giving them to God and looking at them through the eyes of faith and they start weighing you down. Where, man, you're just encumbered. You can't follow God. Before long, you're like this because you can't roll over because you're weighed down with so many things that God never, I'm going to say this real slow, never intended for you to carry. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 22. Now, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. Now, listen to what happens. They hear the word. Another of the gospel, it says, and with joy, they have received it. So they got saved and they're receiving the word. Now, look what happens. Now, here's the old devil. Here's the devil. He sees you receive the word. Let me promise you, when you got saved and started receiving the word, hell hatched a plan. Speaking figuratively, but I think something like this happens. The ones who had something to do with your life and say to them, what was their weakness? What pulled them down? Where were you able to make some real headway in their life? And there's a little plan hatched, all right? Here's how we're going to do our best. We can't keep them from being saved, but we can stop them from bearing fruit. 
We can weigh them down. Are y'all hearing me? This is truth. I'm telling you, I know it is. Because I see people, man, they're bearing fruit, praising God, got their hands up, out winning souls, teaching the word, moving on in God. And suddenly, you look at them, you say, where are they? Well, I, there's, there's some problem. I don't really know what the deal is with them. I haven't seen them around. I don't know what they're doing. And then you see them and say, what's the deal? I haven't seen you at church. I haven't seen you. You know, what's going on? And then you start hearing some story. And you realize that if you're going to go on with God, you've got to be tough. And you've got to make up your mind. And don't ever say the words, I quit. Because here they are cooking along. And the devil found something. And it may not be sin. It could be a weight. Something that's bearing them down. A family problem, a business problem, a money problem, a temptation problem. Worries, fears, who knows? It could be a thousand different things, but it succeeded. Because look at what Jesus said. Jesus said right here, he said, they hear the word, they receive the word, and look at this, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, what's the next word? Choke. Everybody say choke. Real good and loud. Can we say it loud? Choke. That's what the devil wants to do to you. He wants to choke. Now, look what he chokes. Chokes the word. He chokes the word. See, the word is going down into your spirit. The word is bearing fruit. It's building your faith. You're moving along. And all of a sudden, something gets in there. It's a care of the world. A worry, a fear, a doubt, a problem. Something that becomes a weight in your wool. And before you know it, you're cast. You're not bearing fruit anymore because whatever it is, it's choking the life out of the Word of God in you. And that's why you got to know your enemy. you got to know his devices. You need to not just look at your problems under a microscope, look at them from a telescope. See, if you look at your problems under a microscope... You're like this looking at your problems. You become obsessed with them, but you need to pull back and see the bigger picture. See what I'm saying? There's a bigger picture. If you're always looking at them with a microscope, you're going to be lost in that problem. But if you pull back and see the bigger picture, you will see that you are in a spiritual warfare and that warfare is being launched against you because you were bearing fruit, because you became a threat to the devil, because you were anointed, because you were starting to understand and move on with God. The devil said, hit them with this. See if they will do this and become obsessed with the cares of this world and be focused on their problems, and that way we can choke the word in their life and stop this growth and get them cast. Then you don't want to go to church anymore, don't want to pray anymore, you start judging Christians, start looking at them and saying, well, that's a bunch of hooey, I'm starting to find reality again. No, you're not. You're starting to cool off. You're getting lukewarm. You're getting cool to God. You need to get your fire back. What's happened to Christians in America? We've been taken down by caring, the cares, the worries, the fears, the doubts, just making a living, just getting by, just paying the bills, raising the kids and all this stuff, walking around just like this myopic. Pull back and look at the bigger picture. God's got a call on you. 
He's got an anointing on your life. He wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to fellowship with Him. He wants you to win souls. He wants you to glorify Him. He wants you going on with Him. You've got to see the bigger picture. The devil will do anything he can to get you cast. He knows your salvation's a done deal, but he's going to stop you from touching anybody else if he can. He's going to stop you from bearing fruit if he can. He doesn't want you loving. He doesn't want you having joy. He doesn't want you having peace. He wants you to wake up one day and say, this is all a big joke. This is a bunch of hooey. He wants you to wake up and say, I quit. I think I'll just go find a smaller church that's not so fanatical, that only has hour-long services and sings three songs and then sits down and I get a sermonette to a Christianette. Let me translate that for you. Let me translate that for you. I'm looking for a dead church because I'm going down and I want to get around people who will not convict me. I'm going to preach a little bit. I'm feeling just good. It's true, though. It's true. That's why if you're on fire for God and you're going to one of those dead churches, they look at you like an alien. No. Listen. Normal Christianity is when you're red hot in love with God. That's normal Christianity. Everybody say normal. Fanatical. We get the word fan from fanatical. Of course I'm fanatical. I'm a fan of Jesus Christ. So you get a little bit worked up over this thing. See, he wants you cast. And there's thousands of them in this city who used to glorify God and win souls and get up early and pray. And now... They're cast. And he'll give you a thousand reasons and a million justifications to stay that way. The ones who need to hear this aren't in here. You ought to go get a tape and take it to them. Say, I'll pay you to listen to this tape. I'll do double dog dare you listen to it with me sitting here. Some of them need to wake up because life is short. I mean, it's fleeting. And they're going to wake up one day and be 65 and 70 and 75. And I mean, everything in them is going to hurt. And what doesn't hurt doesn't work. And they're going to say, my best years are gone. God forbid. The best time to bear fruit is when you are full of energy, full of life, and have some years to give to God. Don't get this way. Y'all know what I'm talking about? There is no good reason to stay cast. There is no good reason to walk away from God. There is no good reason to not be fervent in love with him. You get a church full of people going on with God, bearing fruit, and I'm telling you, hell will have a heart attack. Hell fears a church that's on fire and that is united in vision. When cares and distractions of this world aren't cast upon him, we can be immobilized by them. I wrote this down today. Cast your cares on him or be cast by your cares. Cast your cares or your cares may cast you. You ought to get up every day and say, Lord, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about this, and I'm worried about this. I've got this on my mind, that on my mind, but you know what, Lord? I'm going to cast them on you and I'm cutting the line. I'm not reeling it back ten minutes later going down the highway. I'm leaving it on you. I'm giving to you the fact that Oh, I don't know, I don't have the money I need, or there's nobody in my life, or there's not this, or there's not that, or I feel lonely, or I'm tempted. Cast your cares upon him. How many of you ever fished? 
I mean, when you cast, you get rid of that. I mean, you free. But see, the difference is when you cast something onto God, you cut it. You do not reel it back in. It's not yours. You get the anxiety off of you. And that way, see, your wool's not heavy. That way your wool's not heavy. And it's like the Lord fleeced you. It's like he sheared the uh, wool off of you. And now you're light. You're not carrying around this debris. You've got to get up. That's why. Start your day with God. Start your day with God. And give him what's troubling you. All right, I've got I to gotta finish. The, the last reason a sheep is cast is because it's too fat. Well, I'm just going to tell you what I read. Uh, no kidding. And here's what happens when they get too fat. There's a reason they get too fat. You know why? They take in and do nothing with it. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. When this happens, the shepherd puts his sheep on a rigorous ration. I think this happens with believers. Listen, we are spiritual gluttons. I think it's great to be hungry for God. But see, the reason the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea is because it takes in and it doesn't give out. Now hear me, church. You can be overfed. I'm convinced of it. You can be overfed because those sheep, they get too fat. The shepherd says, I've got to change things. I'm going to move them around more and I'm going to ration their food and I'm going to get this excess weight off of them and get them leaner and meaner. Now listen, in this city, I've observed, man, Christians run from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting, this meeting, that meeting, this meeting, and I think that's great. As long as, what I want to know is, after all these meetings, see, I'm a result guy. I think if, if you're doing something here, there ought to be a result there. I can put it another way. If you're doing something right here, there will be a result there. Now, I'm hungry for God. I read all the time. I mean, i got five books going probably. I'm reading spiritual stuff all the time. I love it. But you know what? What I take in, I give out. See, if you're going to all these meetings, running in here, here in this one, and here in that one, and Tom Terrific, and Steve Fantastic, and all these other, and I want to know is, once you've heard them, is it resulting in soul winning? Well, I'm growing. You are, you're growing, you are, you're growing. You're growing to all those people. I think it's great to go to them, but how are you growing? See, when I look at the book of Acts, here's what I see. The Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. <sighs> Instantly, 3,000 saved, 5,000 saved. Churches built. The only reason they built churches was to make room for and to take care of the souls that were being saved every day. You know what the truth of the Holy Bible is? You know what the truth of it is? Where the Spirit of God is, there you will find souls being saved. That's right. Read the book of Acts. You ought to smell it. You ought to feel of it. You ought to taste of it. You ought to get a real sense of the book of Acts. Because when the Spirit of God hit that place, and those 120 tongues of fire over each of their heads, and they spoke with new tongues, and we sort of stop right there. And we become experience-oriented. Touchy-feely, give me an experience. Then we run to the next meeting and have another experience. Listen, when God falls by the Holy Ghost, 
According to the book of Acts, the recipients begin to witness. They can't help because Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost and when he comes, he's going to speak of me. So when he comes upon you, you're just Jesus obsessed. You're Jesus this and Jesus that and you're a really a true fanatic and that's great. I wish I had 5,000 of them. You don't just become an experience-oriented person. The experience, now hear me closely, I'm going to end with this. The experience has a purpose. And the purpose is not just for us to have the experience. Are y'all hearing me? I feel sometimes like a voice crying in the wilderness about this, but I'm going to say it anyway. When God touches you with the Holy Ghost, that is not the end. That's a means to an end. And the end is people being saved. That's the end. Because everybody in here is already saved. What did Jesus say? Don't go try to fulfill the great commission until the spirit that I have promised you has come upon you. Then go and tear it up. So they sat in that upper room. Day after day, just praying, 120 hours, just waiting. And when that spirit fell, you read it. Just go read it. Just read the book of Acts, start to finish. It begins with Pentecost after the ascension of Jesus to heaven. And it ends with Paul going before Caesar in Rome to witness. And everything in between, everything in between is souls being saved, revival coming to cities, churches being built, souls being saved, revivals coming to city, churches being built, Souls being saved, devils being cast out, churches being built, revival coming to cities. That's what the Holy Spirit's given for. So that when you go up to somebody lost and say, let me tell you about the Lord Jesus, there's something standing there with you. Power. It's not just so you can get Holy Ghost bumps. He gave it for a purpose. And we need to remember that purpose.